theyeshiva.net. Listen, this he's amazing. He's amazing. He loves the Jewish people. I just ah, here we go, oh, Rabbi. Rabbi. Lechayim. Okay. Rabbi, Rabbi, welcome. So now let the uh, the side shows me, me and the other two fellas over here. We're going to get out of your way. I'm going to let you do your thing. Um, I, I didn't mean it in any bad way. You guys are not side shows. You guys are beautiful. You know what I meant. You know what I mean. Yeah. We always say we're not rabbis. We're not rabbis. Don't even say it. Don't even say it. The what, rabbi gets right. the floor. Why do we have to get them out of the way? I didn't. They, they, because okay, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because officially. We're, we're people that – we're not rabbis. Although although we do our best to help the Jewish community, we have a tremendous respect for the rabbis, and we want to let – we want to let our leaders lead, and I feel, Rabbi, that you are a great leader in the Jewish people, and I have such respect for you, which is why I wanted to bring you on. Um, before the rabbi um, gives us some, some drops of dew from heaven, I would like a special request to the 252 people watching this right now. If you could actually leave for a moment and post on your Instagram story to follow and to follow, come to this live, you could either tag myself or YY Jacobson, whichever you prefer. Tag one of us. So go out, put on your story, put either at Beryl Solomon, great live about Israel right now. So all of your followers will see that and they'll join because the Jewish world has to hear what we're about to say. The Jewish world needs some strength right now. And that's what we're going to do. The Jewish world needs some aloe for their burn. And that's hopefully what the rabbi is going to give us. So please, again, leave this live, put on your Instagram story at Beryl Solomon or at YY Jacobson or at Murray Batesh or at Mexican Pacino, whoever it is you follow. Say to them, please go follow their live so that you could hear some words of inspiration about Israel because the whole Jewish world needs that. So, Rabbi, without further ado, we spoke a little bit about uh, we spoke a little bit about you know some some things we could speak about. So, which one of those topics do you want to start with? If you want me, I could I could repeat them. Repeat because I just got on. Great. So, as we spoke about before on the phone, I was triggered today in shul. I, I had a major trigger today. There's this guy that works in our shul. He's worked there for ten years. He's from Jamaica. I happen to love the guy. Every time I see him, I say, "Why I say, man? We're close. We're close." He knows my kids. I know uh, he gives my kids candy. We're close, like family. Treat him so well. And I said to them for fun. I said to him for fun this morning. What do you think about what's going on in Israel? And he went off. He said, it's not right, man. And I said, wow, great. We're going to get maybe a little bit of uh, somebody on our side finally. I said, yeah, what's not right? He says, you guys are the aggressors. You guys are disgusting. You guys are aggressive. What you doing? Shame on you. I said, what? I said what's going on? We're family. You know me. Are we aggressive people? Y'all are aggressive. And I was so triggered. They're so triggered. Somebody's so close. If he's not with us, and who's with us? Nobody. So, Rob, I wanted to bring that to you and maybe get your thoughts on it. I was triggered today. I'm still a little triggered. I don't know if you guys could tell. Yes. I'm, I'm glad you're triggered. This is, something, uh, this is something to trigger. If there's something that should trigger you, Beryl, this is what should trigger you. Here's the deal. We are confronting an enemy that is craving nothing less than the genocide of 7 million Jews living in Israel. That's what we're talking about. 
Hitler sent six million Jews to the gas chambers. And if Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran would have the ability, they would send each of the seven million Jews of Israel to their gas chambers. That's what we're dealing with. Nothing less. Let's remember, if not for the blessed Iron Dome, after 2,000, more than 2,000 rockets sent in six days into civilian populations, not like Israel, when before they bomb a building, they call the residents and make sure they evacuate because they try whatever they can to do to prevent casualties of children, of women, of men who are not terrorists. And sometimes they can't. It's simply impossible when all the rockets are being launched from amidst heavy populations intentionally among children, among women, and among other people. But here the rockets are launched literally directed to murder and wound as many people as possible. 2,006 days. But from 2005, since Israel evacuated every single Jew from Gaza, you're screaming, you want a Palestinian state. Here, begin with Gaza. Greenhouses. I was in Gaza many times in the old days. I haven't been in Gaza recently. But in the old days, beautiful, beautiful place. 2005, Ariel Sharon, the bulldozer, the hawk of Israeli politics. The right-winger was accused by Time magazine and Sabra and Shatila in war crimes, considered the most extremist, fundamentalist, right-wing Israeli general. In 2005, he says, you know what? It's yours. Gaza is yours. This is a great beginning. Take this piece of land. We're out of here. 10,000 Jews were evacuated by force. 10,000 Jews by force by their own government. I don't know if in history a Jewish government expelled 10,000 Jews in the modern state of Israel. But they did it with the hope that at last it could be the beginning of reconciliation, of understanding. You want autonomy, you want independence, you want the occupation to stop. There's an occupation in Gaza, right? Till 1967, Gaza was occupied occupied by Egypt. (laughs) There were no demands for a Palestinian state in Gaza. But after 67, Israel conquered it. Palestinian state in Gaza, West Bank, East Jerusalem. Israel said, here, let's begin. And the truth is, we had a lot of debates then. And I have a lot of friends, a lot of colleagues who told me, Rabbi Jacobson, let's give it a try. Let's see what's going to happen. It may be magical. It may work wonders. Were these, were, these Lubav- were these Lubavitch friends? Because the Lubavitch Rebbe's opinion was very clear on giving away land of Israel. These were, it's sad for me to say, many Lubavitch friends who said that the Rebbe passed away in 94. This is 2005. It's been 11 years since his passing. And you don't know if he wouldn't have changed his mind. They Just fundamentally to be- didn't understand his uh, keen appreciation of the realities on the ground, not only in heaven, on the ground. They didn't understand. Just, just I, to be cl- I said, I said, you know what? Whenever there's a debate between two people, I'm fine with people disagreeing with me. But there has to be a parameter. How do you prove that I'm right? How do we prove that I'm wrong? I told them, I'll tell you how you can prove that I'm wrong. Israel leaves Gaza, and the next day we hear about 
universities being built, hospitals being built, schools being built, gymnasiums being built, concert halls, libraries, cultural halls, business centers, malls, stadiums. And then I say, I'm sorry, I was a little right wing, I was indoctrinated. I'm sorry. Okay. I said, but what happens if the next day we start seeing rockets? Will you say that you're wrong? They said, no, they're frustrated. I said, is there any point, how many Jews have to die for you to say that they don't want a piece of land, they want you dead? From the river to the sea, let Palestine be free, is a call of the genocide to the genocide of the Jewish people. That's the bone-chilling, sadistic truth, which is why it's mind-staggering that so many of our own people our own people talk about you have to understand two sides. Imagine if in 1944, when America and England and the Soviets were trying to defeat Hitler, somebody would stand up and say, there's two sides and we want to ask Hitler to show restraint. Oh my gosh. We want to ask America to show restraint. You can vomit. How disgusting, how repulsive. I'm sure there were, by the way. Huh? I'm sure there were. Well... <laughs> I'm sure there were people at the time. Well, well, thank God the army wasn't governed by them. You're dealing with two sides? Then people, I told somebody the other day, they said, you know, Israel has to show much more restraint because they're a very powerful country. I said, wow, listen to me. You're living in your home and you have 10 children at home. And suddenly your neighbor starts shooting missiles into your home and one child dies. Another Wait, child dies, another that? child is wounded. What would you do? What would you do? Would you go in and completely uproot and destroy the enemy? Yeah. They can't send any more missiles? What's it do with proportion, disproportion? Israel is not trying to take revenge. Israel is not trying to fight back. Israel is trying to protect millions and millions of innocent men, women, and children who are targeted to death. And if not for the Iron Dome, these rockets would have reduced Israel to rubble. They would have murdered thousands sure. and thousands and sure. thousands and millions of Jews. Then everybody would be happy. A million Jews dead, everybody would be happy. Thank God there's 50,000 Jews dead. Oh, now Israel could go in and kill the terrorists in Gaza. What distortion of truth. How, how repulsive to be able to support a genocidal regime. Last week, there's a clip everybody could watch from one of the top officials of Hamas, who calls on all of their supporters throughout the whole Israel to go and spend five shekel to buy knives and chop off every Jewish head. That I saw see. that. Yep. 2021, to yep. call to chop off every Jewish head. And if anybody says that this happens because of one or another government policy of Israel, it means they're completely not interested in reality. This has nothing to do. Israel makes mistakes. Israel is not a perfect country. There's things in Israel that I disagree myself with Israel. The biggest thing is that they withdrew. That they made the Oslo Accords, they withdrew from Gaza. The way that they make ceasefires with Hamas. You see, this happens every few years. Right. And yep. then a few days later, after Hamas scores PR victories everywhere, because Israel is killing their children and engaged in ethnic cleansing, and they managed to terrorize the country, there's a ceasefire. 
And it's okay. Thank God we have quiet. Ceasefire with whom? You're dealing with a cancer that's in the stomach, in your body. When you make peace, you ever make a person tell a doctor, I want to make a ceasefire with my cancer? You know what happens? A few cancer months later, you're dead. It's you don't stress. make a ceasefire with cancer. That's right. You destroy stress. it. You get it out. If you don't get it out, you're dead. You're dead. Mm-hmm. You're not dealing mm-hmm. here with a regime that says, if you give me this, if you give me that. They don't want a Palestinian state near Israel. They want a Palestinian state instead of Israel. Right. This is the core truth of the reality. And the saddest thing is that so many of our own people don't get it. We're apologetic. We are, we suffer from inferiority complexes and we Mm -hmm. simply don't know the reality. We're uneducated. We're indoctrinated. We're indoctrinated. And these fancy, lovely, progressive terms as militants, (laughs) militants on both sides, the chutzpah, the audacity. And this is not turning Israel into an impeccable, flawless, angelic country and turning its government, its leaders into righteous saints. Not at all. They have made mistakes. They make mistakes. They will continue to make mistakes. But when you're confronted with literally thousands of rockets trying to murder hundreds of thousands and millions of Jews, we should all be alarmed. We should all be triggered. And everyone has the responsibility to stand up to lies, stand up to myths, stand up to deception. Don't duck. The world respects Jews who respect Judaism, who love their heritage, their history, their homeland, their God. The world is embarrassed by Jews who are embarrassed by their people, embarrassed by their homeland, embarrassed by their heritage. It's really very much about our own inner attitude. When we cultivate a sense of inner unity and confidence, we love peace for thousands of years. We pray for peace a hundred times a day. Every Jewish child, time and time again, we pray for a day when there will be peace between all nations and all religions and all faiths, Arabs and Jews. But if you care about Arab children, Golda Meir once said, peace will come when the Arab leaders start loving their own children more than they hate ours. They're they're blaming Israel for attacking Hamas in Gaza and causing casualties. How, how foolish. They don't stop launching rockets from those places. They violate every international law in the book. Nobody talks about that. (laughs) They're frustrated. Rabbi, I have a question. I don't know if you had the opportunity to see the uh, the march in London. And in London, they had the typical anti-Semitic, Jew big nose, Jews are bad, Nazi pictures, uh, you know, propaganda. What does that have to do? If, If it's really about the people of Gaza and if they really care about the Palestinians, why do they need the pictures of the Jews with the big nose and the and the Nazi pictures that that the you know that the same like Hitler put out and uh, propaganda that Hitler, Hitler put out? What, How many deaths were in Chicago over the past year? Thousands. <laughs> you hear Thousands. about it? You hear Thousands. about it? How many deaths happened within Syria over the last few years? <laughs> How millions. Many deaths in Syria? Millions, millions with an M, millions. 
But certainly a half a million, 600,000, whatever the number is. Use the middle, yeah. 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 So we, we, we are confronting a very serious situation where the ugly head of anti-Semitism rears its head and it finds excuses and rationalizations. Israel today became the Jew. For thousands of years, we've been hunted down and persecuted. Today, Israel represents that Jew that's hated. And for anti-Semitism to work, they always accuse the Jews in engaging in the worst crime, which is the most appalling to humanity during that milieu. Today, the international consensus is, at least in the Western world and many other countries, that the worst thing you can do is ethnic cleansing, racism, apartheid, murdering innocent people. And that's everything Israel is accused of. And literally the lies are concocted and every anti-Semite emerges in Europe, in America, journalists, professors, eighth essayists, politicians. How is it that we allow for two of our representatives in Congress to support a genocidal regime? To support, and nobody utters a word, nobody utters a sound. The most important thing at such moments is, number one, for Jews to be more Jewish. Whenever you see such hate, Jews have to be more Jewish, more proud. We are connected with eternity. And our deepest power is our power of unity and our connection to eternity. The entire Jewish people are like one body. We're limbs of one body. And when you exercise one of your limbs, the entire body is healthier. Your adrenaline is flowing better. The circulation is, everything is better. So when one Jew strengthens herself or himself anywhere in the world, it affects by osmosis the entire Jewish people and it helps the world. At such a time, Jews have to increase in their Jewishness. Whether it's in a mitzvah, in the study of Torah, in prayer, in acts of goodness and kindness, charity, any mitzvah. But the more Jewish we are, the more we strengthen Jewish consciousness, Jewish eternity, Jewish pride, number one. Number two, we each have to become ambassadors of truth. The world needs to hear our voice. We cannot change anti-Semites because we are not at fault for the anti-Semites. They have to change themselves. Anti-Semitism is a horrific disease where instead of looking into the mirror to see your own flaws and problems, you look at the Jews and you blame them for everything. It's the worst form of denial and lack of responsibility and introspection. Each of us has to become an ambassador of truth, first of all, to our own families, our own communities, our own spheres of influence. This We live today in a time when the world needs to hear the moral voice of the Jewish people. And we have to turn to everybody in the world, Jew and non-Jew alike, and explain to them, anti-Semitism begins with Jews. It never ends with Jews. Hitler began with Jews, didn't end with Jews. Stalin began with Jews, end with Jews. Suicide bombings began in Israel, but they didn't end in Israel. When people dismissed the suicide bombs as an Israeli-Palestinian problem, what about 9-11? What about London? What about Madrid? What about Mumbai? It begins with the Jews. It doesn't end with the Jews. Anti-Semitism doesn't only destroy Jews. 
It destroys healthy societies. It destroys civilization. Because a world that has no place for Jews has no place for humanity. Rabbi, I once heard from you that the Jews are the canary. Can you share that? Can you share that? If you want to understand how Jewish history works, we are the miners, canaries of history. You know, when miners go down to mine, they don't know if there are noxious, poisonous fumes. So they send down the canary sensitive birds. The canary birds come back up healthy. They know. It's a safe zone. If the canary birds are dead, they know you don't go down there because the canary birds are sensitive to the noxious, poisonous fumes. In history, we are the miners' canaries. When there's poison, when there's poison in a country, in a society, in a regime, sadly, the Jews are affected first. And there's a reason for it because we're God's people. Yeah. We are the ambassadors of God and history. Hitler said, you want to get rid of conscience, you get rid of the Jews. They are the conscience of the world. That's what he said. He said they have circumcised us. They circumcise us physically. They introduce circumcision. And they circumcise us morally. They introduce conscience. That's right. It's right and wrong. I hate to quote the monster, but sometimes you could learn from your enemies what they think about you and know who you are. And can, I just ask, can I just ask I everybody, question, Walt, Walt, oh, can I just ask everybody before your question, Mr. Pacino, I want you to ask it. Please, this is such an important message. There's 360 people here. Please tag on your Instagram right now. Leave this live for a second. We won't do anything great, I promise you. Bleen that there. <laughs> Leave for a second. Post on your story. Please follow one of the four people sitting in this room. Please follow this person to join a great live about Israel. There's 14 million Yidden in the world and only 360 are watching. And this is a message that every single Jew on planet Earth. And if you are a Palestinian watching this, please share it also because we want you to see also. <laughs> By the way, the barrel. The pre-Palestine people are the best. They're the best, the best followers. They comment on everything. They bring all their friends. Yep. It's a machaya. <laughs> Every word that comes out of Rabbi Waiwai's mouth is amazing. And it's gold, and I want the world to see it. It's a shame that only almost 400 people are here. I want 4,000 people. I have one question. So you said this happens every couple of years. This is what I've been noticing as well. What do you think the long-term solution is? I mean, it seems that the only long-term solution, and it's it is, it's a bloody one, but it's really to just remove them. But what what's the solution for this? It really happens almost every other summer. What what can we do? Yeah, imagine imagine if the United States of America, yeah, in the beginning of 1945, mm-hmm. they were already closing in on Berlin. Closing in, closing in. Hitler would cut. Hitler would be defeated in a few months. He would kill himself in April, and the war would come to an end a little while later. And imagine at that point, America would say, "You know what? This is getting very difficult. Let's just declare a ceasefire." You're declaring a ceasefire with whom? With somebody who wants to see you dead. dead. They do not want a Jew in the world. So your thing is, do the not, biggest no mistake that Israel could make is, Israel has made a strategic error. Uh-huh. Okay? I have a lot of issues with Israeli policies. Their strategic error was they felt we can tolerate Hamas in Gaza 
as long as every few years they go a little crazy, they send a couple of rockets, we have the Iron Dome, there'll be a few deaths here and there, but we can manage it. This was Israel's mistake. Hamas, terrorism is a cancer. If you let it exist near you, it grows and grows yeah. and grows. And before you know it, you're dead. Netanyahu said they crossed a red line. They sent rockets to Jerusalem. Wrong, Mr. Netanyahu. That was not the crossing of a red line. The moment the first rocket was sent to Zderot. Yep. That's yep. when it became intolerable. You remember that, that, scene, that scene in the Nuremberg trials? There was a Nazi who defends himself. He tells... Uh, who was it, Spencer Tracer? He says, in 1935, I thought I was killing one Jew. If I would have known that it would have become six million, I would have never done it. Well, the American judge says, the moment you can take one innocent life, there's no difference between one and six million. Well, a rocket in Tel Aviv, in the airport, in Ramat Gan, in Jerusalem is intolerable. But in Zderot, in Ashkelon, okay, that's where the mistake is. You sent 2,000 rockets. The same people. What if Canada sent one rocket to the U.S.? What if one... What imagine if, one, if, if, imagine if Mexico and two rockets, not 2,000 rockets in six days. Right. And, right. Not, and not 20,000 rockets over the last years. And each rocket, if it lands in the right place, heaven forbid, we see the five-year-old kid. Parents have to bury a five-year-old child. Besides the other six hundred people wounded and the other ten killed, including an Arab father and an Arab daughter, who were both murdered. Somebody who so cares about saying that children. The, the what happened in Mexico? I want to know them. if Mexico That's would what you're send. Saying. You're saying we have to finish them. What I'm saying no. is that Israel, because That's, I'm not a military expert, because I'm not a military expert, so therefore. I don't know exactly how things are done, you know, and I don't want to uh, um, uh, make believe I'm an expert on the military logistics when I'm not. But I think the principle is clear. The principle has to be that there's no room for compromise with somebody who wants genocide. You have to eliminate them. In my mind, it's a mistake when Israel agrees to a ceasefire and then Israel is not allowed to touch them. Israel should say, at any time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we will go in and destroy every person involved in terrorism. We're not going to wait until they manage to create and put into their storage another 20,000 rockets that they get from Iran who funds them. There's no ceasefire until this genocidal regime is completely eliminated and destroyed. And we're talking about Hamas. You can't make, you can't make peace with an Adolf Hitler. You can't. Enough. Enough. Don't make peace Enough. with them. You make peace with somebody who's ready to say, we had issues in the past. Let's negotiate. Let's compromise. And I can accept your existence. I tell people, don't argue with me. Read the charter of Hamas. Read their charter. Read their mission statement. They don't say we want a Palestinian state in Gaza. No. And in East Jerusalem and in West Bank. This myth is that if Israel withdraws to the pre-1967 borders, there's peace. That's okay? a lie. Yeah. <laughs> Halavai. It's a lie, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so in, in, in Yitzhak Rabin and then Ayud Barak yeah, offered Yasser Arafat, the head of the PLO, 
Pelo, Palestinian Liberation, which, by the way, was not established in 1967. It was established, I believe, in 1964. Yeah. And I asked people, one second, in 64, there was not one Jewish settlement and there was not <laughs> one Jewish settler. The West Bank belonged to Jordan. That's East right. Jerusalem belonged to Jordan. Gaza and Sinai belonged to Egypt. There was not one Jewish settler and not one Jewish settlement. Why was the PLO established? <laughs> Why did the 1967 war break out? People say Israel occupied the territories in 67. Excuse a moi. Why did the 1967 war break out? Did Prime Minister Levi Eshkol sit down with Moshe Dayan one day for a cup of coffee and say, you know what, it's pretty boring here. Let's go occupy Gaza. Let's occupy Sinai. Let's occupy the West Bank. Let's occupy Jerusalem. Really? Or seven Arab armies vowed that there will be another Auschwitz just 20 years after the first Auschwitz. And the three million Jews would be thrown into the sea. That's what happened. And Israel won the war in six days. And the land of Israel was tripled. That's what happened. So basically, Israel got those territories because they were protecting themselves from the attacks of those territories so that their three million Jews are not killed. So now they take their territories and then they're blamed for what? For not going to their death. The PLO was established in 64. So when Ayud Barak or Yitzhak Rabin offered the PLO, you can have a Palestinian state in Gaza. He get offered 98 or 95% of the West Bank parts of East Jerusalem make a Palestinian state. That should have created peace, right? That should have created peace. Sharon gave them Gaza. Prove your point. Build a beautiful country. You know what happened? People like me and all my friends who agree with me would say, we were wrong. Look what they did with Gaza. Beautiful universities and hospitals. The day after, the same day, Gaza turned into Hamastan. It became a launching place for terror, for violence, for bloodshed, for aggression, just like the day after. Yitzhak and they Rabin. destroyed all the infrastructure that Israel had built. Yeah. And meaning yeah, they, they went into the greenhouses. The greenhouses were an economic treasure. This is for you. Israel left it for you. Right. You'll build your economy. It. You'll build a beautiful country. And everybody said, wow. Who wants a country? We want Israel dead, dead, dead. Rabbi, I have a question for you. Fools, and we fools are busy, are busy embracing the myth and apologizing for existence. What a shanda, as they say in Yiddish. Shame <laughs> on all of us. Rabbi, question for you. So I have a big I have a big following on LinkedIn. I'm much more let's say open about these things on Instagram, on TikTok, on uh, WhatsApp, on Facebook. I'm more open. I've been for four years. I've, I've worked so hard to build this like professional following. I have over 50,000 people that follow me. there. good people, successful people, intelligent people, probably only 20% are Jewish. And I, I've been struggling with my message really. So you mentioned being ambassador of truth. I don't know what to say because and we spoke about this before we got on tonight. As soon as I try to go into the 1967 and the PLO and the, the and UN, they they completely destroy me. They're much more educated than me on all the politics. 
They really know their their stuff. These guys, they can make you think you're wrong. I don't know. If, I don't know what is when you say be the ambassador of truth and light. What does that mean, practically speaking, that each one of us could go and do after this? Excellent, excellent question. So I think first of all, it's important that people in influential positions, any type of influential positions, should really get some education about reality. I think it's very, very important. For example, just to mention two or three facts that are just interesting and important. In 1947, the United Nations suggested a two-state solution, (laughs) Palestinian state and a Jewish state, 1947, November 1947. (laughs) This great two-state solution that the New York Times and CNN and President Biden and many presidents before suggested and advocated the UN, the UN gave, the UN suggested. You know what? Who's accepted it? <laughs> the Jews said, great. And the Arabs, who were very honest, said, absolutely no. And a war broke out. And then when Israel decided to establish a Jewish state, that war was intensified. It's called the War of Independence. So that two-state solution, my friends, was suggested in 1947. The Arabs didn't want the two-state solution. They wanted one state without any Jews. It should be Judenrein. And the poor Arab children were used and are still used as missiles in the propaganda war against Israel. You know how many Jewish refugees existed in 1948, 1949, 1950? You know how many Jewish refugees? There were approximately 600,000 Palestinian or Arab refugees who are still refugees now. They number now more than 3 million in the West Bank and Gaza. But you know what? That there was a greater number of Jewish refugees who were expelled from Arab countries during those years. That's right. Where are they? That's our people. Where are the 3 million Jewish refugees? The answer is Israel integrated them. They're not refugees anymore, even though they were expelled from Iraq and from Syria. And from Egypt, Tunisia, Lebanon, from Yemen, that's right. And from they were Pra-pra- our communities, Rabbi. But, that's our community. Yeah, exactly. That's Israel Pra-pra- today. But Pra-pra- those poor Arabs were kept in refugee camps for seventy years, more than seventy years, to be used as propaganda and a missile, missiles against Israel to show that they created this crisis. These are just some important things for people to realize, for people to become. So when you say ambassador of truth, that's what you're talking about. Like, I feel if I if I could be totally honest, I just feel like, like I said, it falls on deaf ears. They have their story. Then it becomes a whole argument about politics. Like, really, what I would like to do and what I what I started this, you know, when I when I the janitor of my synagogue today, I said to him very clearly that, that it really triggered you, Barrel. Sorry, say it again. It triggered me, and I thought he was yeah. going to melt when I said it to him. I quoted him the first pasuk, the very first oh. line in the Torah says, "Bereshit." That's, That's the most important thing. Good. But I would say, even somebody who doesn't know all the history, I think the most important thing is, and Jews are embarrassed to say this. And this is our disgrace. This is the Aleph base of the Torah, the first and pasuk that you quoted for us. The creator of the world has given the land of Israel as an eternal inheritance to the Jewish people. Correct. Jerusalem is mentioned more than 700 times in the Tanakh. The promise of God to give the land of Israel 
all the way from the Euphrates to the Mediterranean, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants forever, is one of the fundamental truths in the Hebrew Bible, which is embraced by 2.8 billion Catholics. And the Bible is a sacred divine book by 1.8 billion Muslims. So this Bible says that this is the divine gift to the Jewish people. They all believe in Sinai. They all believe in the Bible. They all consider themselves ears of Abraham. God promised Abraham's children this land to call us thieves, to call us thugs, all the land. The history is that Jews have been in this land for more than three millennia, close to 4,000 years. Islam was created in the seventh century. Correct me if I'm wrong, Rabbi. More than almost 4,000 years. Simply a historical fact. From a religious point of view, this is God's gift to the Jewish people, the ruler of the world, that every good Muslim believes in God. Rabbi. Says that this is the land. God says, this is their land. It's my gift to them. It's a small land, and I'm giving it to them. Which means, which means... That for the Arab, for the Palestinian to contest us and to steal that land from the Jewish people is not only detrimental to the Jews, it's detrimental to the Arab society. Because if I take something from you and God says it's theft, it's not good for me either. It, this is what Israel has to understand. When Israel fights the terrorists and defends their land, they're not only defending themselves, they're helping the Arabs. They're helping the Palestinians. What? The curse for the Palestinians. <laughs> to be stealing the land that God gave to the Jews. It's a curse for them. It's not good for them. Not good for their children. Israel is helping them. This is what you should explain to them. Also, the Temple Mount, Rabbi, the Temple Mount is our most sacred site, our most sacred site, and it falls short for them. It's not even their third most holy site. The Temple Mount is our most sacred site. Compared to theirs, maybe number three or four. They have others that, that's, that, that, that they have, or a Mecca and Medina is theirs. Why the can't we have our own spot? Why? Yeah. The, 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 one of the great challenges here is the Jews' own inferiority complex. Mm-hmm. Terrible. We are, we are terrible. Where's Mayor Kahana? Where's Mayor Kahana when we need him? <laughs> Shema Israel. We are very intimidated by world opinion. And you know what? When Jews are embarrassed with themselves and with their own land and with their own heritage, the world is disgusted by them. And they pick up on our weakness and they bounce on it. If we, all of us, would be united with an unambiguous, clear, unapologetic, moral voice This is a divine gift to the people. It's not good for the Arabs. It's not good for your children. It's not good for your future to defy the piece of land that God gave to the Jewish people. You want to live on it in peace, with respect. But if you're going to... Rabbi, now that these refugees... Now that these refugees have lived in the West Bank and Gaza for, what, 60, 70 years, right? So the question is, what do you do with them? What do you, I mean, they're already kind of like a nation, and also they're not all terrorists, right? It's, it's, the, it's the 10% that's that. So what do you do with them? 
Can I write down? Can I write? Can I write down that question? Can I write down that question before we deal with them? I want to deal with ourselves because, because I see that's harder. Exactly. Like, like to say that gone. Like, I I showed my wife today. If any you guys, if if anyone has a chumash at home, you could open it up. The first line in the whole chumash in our entire Torah that we all follow by that we're all so proud of is God created the world. And then Rashi says, why does it say that? And it says, the first... Beryl, just say who Rashi is. Rashi is considered the greatest Jewish commentator on the Hebrew Bible. His name was Rabbi Solomon, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki. And he lived in the 10 hundreds during the Christian Crusades in Germany. He lived in France and he lived in Germany. He lived in Germany and he lived in France. And uh, he was around during the first major... Mm -hmm of 1096 and uh, and and this is when he writes so and remember the crusade i'm giving context the first christian crusade went to liberate israel from the muslims palestine from the muslims and then on the way they said why do we have to go to the infidels in palestine we have the infidels right here in europe okay. they destroyed the three large communities of spire Mainz, and worms in germany murdering almost all of his Jews. It was a horrific, horrific uh, tr tragedy in Jewish history, 1096. Rashi was living then. So you have to understand the context. And on the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. He asks a question. He says, Torah is a book of Jewish law. Why doesn't it just start with the laws for the Jewish people? Why this whole history with the creation? And you know what he answers? He says, because one day, God knew, Moses knew, that the Jews will be accused by the world, by the international community. That's what he says. The whole world will accuse them as being thugs and thieves for stealing the land of Israel from non-Jews. They're going to tell the Jews, you guys are listim atem, you're a bunch of gangsters, you're robbers. That's what Rashi writes in the 10 hundreds during the Crusades. When there was no, when no Jews were creating any government in Israel, they were just trying to survive. And Rashi says, so therefore God starts over the whole Torah. The world is mine. I created heaven and earth. And this piece of land, which we call today Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, I have given it to different nations over different periods of time, like the Canaanites, the Canaanim. And then at some point I gave it as a gift to the Jewish people. It's my world. I decide what happens with my world. At one point, I took it away from the Canaanites and I gave it to the Jews as their eternal inheritance. And God wanted the Jews should be able to have a legitimate answer to the attack that they are gangsters and thieves. When was there another time that this opening commentary of the greatest commentator on the Bible was relevant as in 2021? When the whole world is wow. screaming. You're a, bunch of wow. thieves. You're a bunch of thieves. You're stealing Jerusalem houses, and you even Tel Aviv is even Tel Aviv is, is theft. Which, by the way, is such an important idea. I explained to people, this is not an attack on a few settlements. In the mind of the Hamas and so many Arabs, all of Israel is a settlement. <laughs> Israeli is a settler, and every Jew is a supporter of the settlements, and that's why every Jew is a legitimate target. You know why? Because every Jew, even if you're living in Buenos Aires or in Sydney, 
or in Toronto, you are a legitimate target because you're a supporter of Zionism. So every Jew today is the sworn enemy who deserves to be killed, murdered, and head chopped off. That's what we're dealing with. So it's so important for Jews to stop ducking and to use our influence. Remember, Jews... Huh? What do we do about the Jews within that other problems? Like the le- the hardcore leftists that have no religion in them, that have no Yidat Shamayim, they barely believe in God. And unfortunately, like they're our biggest enemies uh, are, are the ones that are from within. You know, the Bernie Sanders, the, the, the Schumers, and, and those type of Jews. Rabbi, could I take this one? Sure. Invite them over to your Shabbos table. Be like the Lubavitcher Rebbe Shlita. <laughs> so I have a question for myself. You know the story with... I, the... I, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, Rabbi. I'm just going to say it again. I'm the one quoting the first verse. Why do I, big bad, big B, why am I shy and nervous and with trepidation to go out and say, God gave us the land of Israel? Why? If I'm not willing to say it, then 99% of people are not willing to say it. Okay. The answer is you have to understand that we have been in exile for 2,000 years. And we have developed a mentality that is driven by a lot of anxiety and a lot of trauma and a lot of fear. And I would say that anti-Semitism has two casualties. Casualty number one is non-Jews hate Jews. Casualty number two is Jews hate Jews. The greatest tragedy of anti-Semitism is that we started to believe them. We internalized the anti-Semitism. And that's worse than anti-Semitism. Because if I can identify the enemy, okay, it's a problem, but at least I know the enemy. Once I internalize the anti-Semitism, it's called self-hate. And now my children grow up with self-hate. And my children grow up with inner shame. And there's self-loathing. And we all suffer from it. By the way, what made the Lubavitcher Rebbe such an extraordinary individual, at least in my mind, watching, I grew up and had his feet for many years, was that even though he grew up in Ukraine, in darkest years, the pogroms of the early 20th century, First World War, Stalin, Stal, Stalinist Bolshevik uh, communism, and then in, in, in Berlin when Hitler took over, etc., somehow he managed not to internalize that type of inner shame. And he taught anybody who would listen that the call of our era is to be able to stand tall. He had a beautiful expression in Yiddish. It's called Yiddish Stoltz, inner Jewish confidence, spiritual confidence that comes from knowing that we are not the people. What unites us is not that Hitler Arafat, Stalin, Nasrallah, Hanwa, Aswar, Rawani, and Ahmadinejad hate us. What makes us a people is that God loves us. Mm. Don't define yourself by hate. Define yourself by love. In other words, we have to appreciate who we are from inside out and appreciate that we have a mission. Our mission is to transform the landscape of planet Earth. Our our mission is to change the world, to make it a world of peace, of goodness, of kindness, of decency, of compassion. Israel 
is a land that God gave to the Jewish people to build a blessed society that could be an example to all the nations of the world. The reason we're hated so much is because we're doing a good job. <laughs> Evil? No, I always say, tell me who your enemy is and I'll tell you who you are. Mine is Mayor Kim. Okay, I got it. I got it. That's, that that, that leads me into a great question, by the way, which is, oh, yes, go ahead, go ahead. So who are you, Marie? <laughs> well, I'm yeah. a guy that, I just want to give I got to let the rabbi finish. I got yes. <laughs> a really quick plug. Uh, guys, we're going to Vegas this weekend, the Friday and Sunday. We're going to have a rally in Las Vegas. Anybody watching worldwide, please come to the rally. Uh, it's going to be. 100% peaceful, 100% kosher, but we need to do it. We got to make our voices uh, heard and known. We got to do this for the Jewish people. We got to do this to stand up for the Torah, not to, to allow them to use the Torah as a weapon. And we're, we're standing up for Hashem and standing up for the Jewish people. Rabbi, you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, I'm just going to finish my thought and then I'll get your thought, okay? Because I also go all over the place. I have to keep my brain organized because if not, I'm going to get lost. <laughs> you know, people ask me often, are we the same Jews who stood at Sinai? Are we the same Jews who were there when Hanukkah happened, Purim happened, who built the first temple, who built the second temple? Are we the same Jews or we're like, you know, some uh, fake fictional substitute, you know, eating kugel and sushi and Chinese food? And I tell them, just look at one thing. Look at the hatred. The same hatred wow. that the Jewish people experienced 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, through every era, still exists in the hearts of anti-Semites. You know why? Because we are still the ambassadors of God in this world. Our holiness is still as powerful as ever. If anything, is wow. powerful. And evil is allergic to goodness. Evil recognizes holiness and it wants to destroy it. Anti-Semitism should inspire every Jew living on the planet to realize how relevant we are. Wow. Our voice has become dull. Our impact has not become weak. It's not like three and a half thousand years later, eh, we're not relevant anymore. We live in a beautiful democracy. Look how much they hate the Jews. You know how many Jews there are in the world? 14 million. We don't make up even a quarter of 1% of civilization. Who are they hating? Israel is the size of New Jersey, for heaven's sake. How can all the world's <laughs> problems be focused on New Jersey? We're like a match on a football field. Imagine the whole world is focused on football game and all the video cameras the one match on the foot they say this match is responsible for the defeat <laughs> of the team I mean, give me a break what's going on 2.8 million christians and 14 million jews do you know that our number is smaller it's less than a statistical error on a chinese census wow okay just for a little sh Shout out to all my yeah. Christian friends who are joining tonight. I know a yeah. lot of you messaged me before. Thank you. We love you. Thank you for your support. Yeah. But this tells us something. This tells us that the Jewish role is as powerful and relevant as ever. That God chose the Jewish people to change the world. To turn it into a space of oneness where we respect each other, where we love each other on a boat of compassion, of kindness. And the anti-Semitism is only 
a testimony to how deeply we trigger all those pathetic hearts that are not yet ready to look themselves in the mirror and ask themselves what is wrong with our lives rather than just blaming the Jews and the Israelis. So my friends, my friends, a lot of people in the world are good people, but they need our voice to mobilize them and to tell everybody, we need you, but you need us. We're all in this together. We all have to fight this type of anti-Semitism together. Jews and non-Jews alike. So, so to Marie's question about the Agunot, and we spoke about this a little bit before, Rabbi, I want to bring it because there's been three major events, and we spoke about this before we got on the live tonight. There's been three major events in the Jewish world in the past 90 days. There was the Agunot situation, you know, trying to liberate the Agunot. Then it went directly into Meron, and now it's directly into the rockets. And I can't help but feel that there's a connection between all of them. Am I right? Am I wrong? Is there a connection? Some, somebody in Shul said today, somebody in synagogue said today that God is mad at us, nothing to do with the Aguna, but God is mad at us, therefore he's punishing us, and that's why this is going on. So is there a connection between all three? Yeah. So I'm certainly not in a position to be able to know the, you know, the inexplicable and to understand God's ways in the world. I think it's certainly above my pay grade. But I think providential. There's no random events in the world. And when things happen, and in such succession, as you say, and such intense events, the Miran tragedy where 45 precious souls, some families that I know, have perished on that fateful night, Lagba Omer 5781 in Miran. And now, just a few days later, as Israel was gripped by grief for these 45 souls, and as they tried to catch their breath as the shiva was ending, because it really united all of Israel in grief, the religious and the secular, a real moment of unity we all crave for more often in times of joy. You know, these this, people called it protest. I call it a declaration of war of Hamas against Israel broke out. So, to, to, you know, for me to and, be and Anna Gunot, I put that in there, or are you taking that out? No, no, no. I'm not taking anything. Not take, it I'm, doesn't I'm, take scientists I, to realize the Agunot, the Meron, and the, and, the, and the Gaza is all God's way of bringing unity. So, it's uh, unity. So, so to, say, to say that God is angry with the Jewish people, I don't like to phrase it that way. First of all, I don't think God is angry with the Jewish people. I think the Jewish people are an incredible people. Listen, do we have flaws? Of course, but we have been we have been persecuted for two millennia. God hid in his face. When you look at the Jewish people after a thousand years in exile, they're an incredible people. We're going strong. Jews study Torah. Jews celebrate Jewishness. And even Jews who are involved in different ways, all want to be Jewish and identify as Jews. But I think God looks at the Jewish people and says, wow, I didn't imagine what an unbelievable house I chose three and a half thousand years ago at Sinai. My wife, my bride was something special. This is shocking. 
you know, 75 years after Auschwitz, look what the Jewish people did in Israel. Look what they did around the world. Incredible, incredible people. Well, I think we should say and could say <coughs> that these are very, very intense times in history. What do they say? You remember that line to paraphrase Thomas Paine? These are times that try, that try human souls. They try the souls of men and women. These are times when we can either become incredibly powerful and empowered people or to the opposite. These are times that I think that call for extraordinary levels of vigor, love, empowerment, focus, introspection, and the most important, opening ourselves up to a new consciousness of transformation. Because when the world shakes so much and the Jewish world is trembling, when we see these events, even if I don't know exactly the reason and the message, I simply don't have the authority to speak about it because I don't know. But I think it's clear that it's a moment that we all have to be able to transcend our pettiness, our limitations, our narrowness, our bias, our stupidity, our narcissism, our selfishness, our fears, our insecurities and really become the best version of ourselves, ambassadors of light, love, and hope. It comes to the Aguna issue. We're dealing here with a travesty. People who speak in the name of Torah, utilizing the Torah to abuse and torment women and children, and sometimes men, different situations. That's something that is unforgivable. The whole mission statement of Torah was to protect the innocent, to protect the vulnerable, children, women, and men. The Maimonides, who knew a thing about law, writes, and I quote in the laws of Hanukkah, the whole Torah was given to create peace and harmony in the world. It's the whole objective of Torah. Come people, and in the name of Torah, and in the name of Jewish law, they use it as a missile to persecute, to torture women for years and years and years. And nobody says a sound. Nobody utters a peep. How is it that a rabbi in a shul can tolerate somebody sitting in a synagogue, smiling at his sermons, giving that person an aliyah or an honor when he is torturing his wife? How, how is that acceptable? If every rabbi in the world, if every spiritual leader in the Jewish world, if every activist, if every educator, if every teacher, if every self-respecting member of the Jewish community would say, no more, this will not be tolerated in our midst, these people wouldn't get away with it. Let's face it, a decade ago, we had the problem with child molestation. You remember? Molesters were being protected. And the truth is many of didn't know about it. We didn't understand how how serious it is. And we protected them. They would find out a principal or a rabbi would find out about a molester and say, okay, we'll send them to therapy. But don't tell anybody, you know, let them continue teaching in the school. And then suddenly you realized how many lives were destroyed. And the community together, even though there's still a lot of work left in this area. Now this is a new this is a serious front, the front of Agunos. When there's a woman who's being tortured. 
a child or a family is being tortured. And sometimes I should mention just it's fear. Sometimes it's also a man being tortured by the other side. Yes. I'm not here. This is not, this is not an agenda driven issue about a certain gender. This is an agenda-driven issue. We should not desecrate the divine blueprint that was given to us in order to protect the vulnerable. There's an unbelievable prophecy in Isaiah 58 that we say on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. God tells Isaiah, he says, you think I need you fasting? You think I care if you guys don't eat? You think I want your sacrifices? That's not what I need. You think if you fast and you don't eat, this is what I call a spiritual day, a Yom Ratzon, a day that I favor? You think that's what I care? I don't care about that. You know what I care about? I care that you remove the chains of people. These are his words. You remove the chains of the people who are chained. You get rid of oppression. You get rid of theft. You get rid of abuse. You stop tormenting the innocent and the vulnerable. That's what I care about. And if you don't, all your prayers and all your fasting don't mean anything. And I think that's so important today for every Jew to realize that to live with Torah means, first and foremost, it means protecting the vulnerable among us. That's the key. And everything else is secondary. Rabbi, you 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 just clarified for me what the common connection is. To not... I say do not go for it. God, I have my version of what it is, but I thought to not accept to not accept injustice within something we used to tolerate was this injustice from within, and Hashem was teaching us that. And now the rockets is to not accept injustice from without, and that it just became very clear to me that's the connection between everything. So for me, the connection is unity. The Agunas, it doesn't matter who you were. If you're Sephardic, if you're Ashkenaz, if you're Lidish, if you're Hasidic, if you're Fremir, it doesn't matter what sect of Judaism. We all say it's not okay. We all got together. We all unified. We all became one Jewish community instead of a sect of a community to, to rally, to be uh, together against this injustice and for the Agunas. We united. Let's go to Meron. We had a tragedy in Meron. 45 people, 45 Nishamot lost their lives. What did we do? Again, we united. We came together. We mourned together with Kalal The whole Israel, we all came together. Once again, God brought us together. Now we have the rockets. What are we doing? We're uniting. We're coming together. We're supporting the, 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 the Israel. We're supporting the army. We're supporting our brothers and sisters there. So all these three things, everything that's been happening is for one reason and one reason only, to prepare us for Moshiach because it's coming. It's coming soon. And God is telling all his children, come together, unite, be one, one Jew. Be one Jew. And that's what that has I have somebody who's been a very intelligent, bright man and uh, apparently seemed always a very sweet guy and came to almost every single class and lecture that I gave in my center, my shul in Muncie, New York. And a great student, a great disciple, asking brilliant questions, intelligent questions, engaging 
me engaging the crowd, and I really loved his presence. Then I learned one day that it's already five years he's refusing to give a get to his wife. I phoned him, and I said, listen, I like you, I appreciate you, I want you at my classes, but I cannot have somebody walking in to the shul where I daven and being part of a minion where we're trying to bring God's presence into the world and to be part of a Torah class where we're trying to create a consciousness of love and unity in the world. Somebody who goes home and once again refuses his wife again after five years. So therefore, if by this Shabbos you give a get, I give you a big hug, and you're the most welcome member in the show, I'll even announce it. Not that I'm going to celebrate that you gave a get. It's not a reason to throw a party, but I'll celebrate your, mm-hmm. your, your morale. Your, 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 your mensch, your mensch. If not, mm-hmm. I do not want you to step foot in here again. Ever again. You give a get, then you could step foot in. Then you made you. And uh, I wish I could say that the story has a happy ending, that he gave a get. He did not. He explained to me how I'm, I was duped. I was duped, and I'm not a, going to Torah, and um, I follow pop psychology, and I follow all the liberal progressives who don't care about... They Jews. all have a million answers. They all have a million answers, Rabbi. wrote me letters, yeah. letters after letters after letters. I said, listen, I've been... <laughs> I've heard these things before. When somebody's being tortured, I don't, I don't care for rationalizations and justifications. If this, is what, if this is a representation of God, you could throw away your Judaism and your God because this belongs in the dustbin. Somebody who uses religion and uses Torah, and they bring me... People email me responses of this rabbi and this rabbi and that rabbi. And I explain to them, you guys, I'm missing the point. Send me a hundred, a thousand responses. The essence of Torah and Judaism is compassion for the vulnerable, standing up to criminals, standing up to injustice, not allowing bloodshed, violence, and torture. We don't allow monsters in our midst who torment innocent people. And if for you, Judaism allows you to do this, then... We are embarrassed. We are embarrassed with the Judaism that you represent. And I, for one, will not tolerate it in my midst. I think everyone with any type of influence has to say, enough is enough. This is, this is not a game anymore. This is not a joke. Imagine if it was your own daughter or your own Rabbi, sister. one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on here is I felt that the Aguna movement was being hijacked and going in a wrong direction where every rabbi was a supporter of a get refuser and every rabbi was and every based in was corrupt and every and it's and all of Judaism is corrupt and it was it was starting to get this level of toxicity that I did not appreciate and one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on why I brought Mer, uh, um, Rav Kahan on last time is Ab- be- Rabbi Avi Khan. Yeah, the, a, a, yeah, a, a, a prince, a prince, a prince of a man. Just so you know, Rabbi Khan is watching right now. He was, he's been texting me through this live. Oh, I would love to bring him on. I would love to bring him on. Okay, bring him. Um, I, I would, I would take myself well, out and put him in. But I, I'll bow out. I'll bow out. Factors like this that when people I gotta go inside, you have to go inside, anyways. I do. Yeah, I do. I okay. do. So bring I him love on. you. I love you guys. 
Rabbi Kahan, we're going to bring you on. Rabbi, I, I, I wanted to ask you a question, just a funny question, okay? So your name is Why Why. Does anyone ever tell you, Rabbi, why? Why? <laughs> Does anyone ever tell you that or no? <laughs> I just thought of that. Yeah, I got that. <laughs> when I was born, they said, why? Why? <laughs> I, I love it. With my life answer that question <laughs> if, have if a I, great if I, night Shavuot Tov Rabbi I love bye, you bye Abe thank Meryl, you I if love I, you Mari I'll see you soon brother I love yeah. you if I was just saying if I, I just to finish my thought is I felt that there was like a certain level of toxicity that every rabbi and every based in is now corrupt and no good. And my experience has, has been that Yiddishkeit for me has been the sweetest thing in the world. And rabbis are so sweet. And, and I know you rabbi and, and I know hundreds of rabbis and we're good people. And that's why I wanted to bring you on. So I, I, I add barrel. I would just add, it's even more than that. When people start using um, the crisis or similar crisis to start delegitimizing rabbis and Jewish law and Torah, they don't realize that they're undermining the very thing that they're trying to help. Mm. For thousands of years, the reason that people are so strong, the reason we have such a powerful sense of family and community, marriage is treated with sacredness and sanctity. The reason that in all of our schools, our schools have a lot of problems, but they don't have metal detectors. You know that. <laughs> all mm. of our don't have metal detectors. Nobody shoots anybody in the school. You know, they may throw soda or, or spitballs, but there's no bullets. It's like the schools used to be in America. It's because of the power of Jewish values. It's Jewish values, it's Torah that's going to save the crisis, whether it comes to child molestation, whether it comes to domestic abuse, whether it comes to the Aguna crisis. Real Torah is all about standing up to the bullies and not allowing injustice to triumph. That is the essence of that is the role of the rabbi. That is the quintessential role of a spiritual leader in Judaism. Not to give speeches, not to give sermons, not to give classes, not to marry off people. Those are all good stuff. Not to sell your chametz on Pesach. Rabbi, I'm that's sorry. all secondary. The Can you role add- of a spiritual leader in Judaism is to stand up for the vulnerable. That is the essence of Torah. So therefore, this is the most powerful tool to stand up to all of these people who are oppressing innocent women or men or children. Welcome, Rabbi Kahan. How are you? Wow. Such great people in this life. It's an honor. It's an honor to be with you, Rabbis. Really. Rabbi, Rabbi Kahan, could you could you give a little aloe vera to the burn that is on the Jewish people right now? I think, like Rabbi Jacobson was saying before, it's not on the Jewish people. The Jewish people are, we have the Torah, we know what's right. We just have to try to defend it a little bit better. We have to defend our Torah a little bit better. Do you believe that there is a connection... Is there, and I'm not trying to push an agenda here. I'm very happy if you tell me no and you know go on with your life. But is there a? Do you believe that there may be a connection between Agunot? Um, what do you think it might? What happened? In, what happened in Meron and what happened? What's happening now? Look, I I don't know if there's a connection, but if I would have to say if there's a connection, 
I would say that the concept of agunas is understanding that all the people who are ma'agnim deep down want to do the right thing. And since a get has to be given for someone's own free will, we know that we're not just doing something that's against the deep down. They, they want to do the right thing. They have so much trauma or validation from other people. Deep down, they're a good yid. And even the Arabs understand that they want to kill every yid, no matter how they look on the outside. No matter, they know deep down that the person's a yid. Deep down, maybe the day of the Arab Shimon Yechai was Nisgala, Teres Anister, that you know, he brought down to this world. What really deep down a yid is made made about? Maybe that maybe that's supposed to all enlighten us and inspire us. Beautiful. I I wanted to bring you in for that. You in you illuminated this talk. Thank you for being here with us, Rabbi. I'm going to bring in other people to ask questions. <laughs> but so thank you for your beautiful words as always. Thank you for standing up for the Jewish people. Thank so, you for being here. By the way, long is, after we I all, I just want to say kudos to Rabbi Avi Khan. Yes. Because he works tirelessly yes. to help many, many agunas obtain their, their get, obtain their divorce contracts, just as he helps many couples try to repair their marriage if that's possible. And generally, he is what's called, you know, I remember not to compare, but Mayor Ed had a radio show. He called it The Voice. He said, I am the voice of sanity. <laughs> <laughs> I like the line. I am the voice of sanity. People represent Torah in a very, very grotesque fashion. And it's an embarrassment for Judaism, frankly. Not many people, but some people. So uh, Rabbi Khan is a, a voice not just of sanity, but of moral clarity and moral compassion. So thank he you. was with the, he was helping a gunot before it was cool. So I'll just, I'll just mention, people ask me what I do in my spare time. My you spare time, I listen to the Shirim from Rabbi Jacobson, and that's where I get the information <laughs> to be able to. So it was a pleasure to be on, and I won't have a good asked Rabbi Khan a few years ago, I want to ask what his mission statement is as a rabbi. And he told me, and it was very moving to me. I can't say I'm quoting him verbatim, but certainly the content I remember. He told me my mission statement as a rabbi is to show many Jews who have been disillusioned by the rabbinate, by Torah, to show the truth that the rabbinate and the Torah are the greatest forces to help the vulnerable, to improve the life of innocent people suffering, to stand up to injustice, to be there for the destitute, and to be there for those who have emotionally been robbed from their dignity, to be able to be there for them. He says, that's what I want to demonstrate. Well, you're definitely you're definitely doing that. Can I give a public thank you to Rabbi Khan? Um, the best. The best. Literally takes my calls and my texts. Twenty four hours a day, I bother him. Um, I I literally ask him about every single question that I can possibly. I harass him all the time, and he always responds with an answer like like this. And and I couldn't do what I do without this rabbi. So wow. really you in front of the 350 people um, they don't know who i reach out to this one of the main rabbis that i reach out to when i have any questions or support or anything like that so rabbi, but if I, may, I may but i hope you allow him to sleep for a few hours a night at least three I hours i don't you don't give that to him i don't <laughs> you didn't in the middle of the night and he needed to to call uh, that's how important this movement is to him and to me 
And that's the one thing that we have in common that, and he's always there to answer it. So thank you again, Rabbi. Okay, good you know, by the way, thank the way, Golda Meir once said something very profound, the Prime Minister of Israel. She was said, she were, they asked her about peace with the Arabs. And she said, you know, I have instructed the people who work under me that when there's a death in Israel, I should be phoned in me one in the morning, two in the morning, three in the morning, four in the morning. You wake me up from my sleep and you tell me about a soldier or a citizen who has been whose life has been taken or wounded. He said, when my Arab colleagues, each of the leaders would give the same instructions to their people, every single life who's taken, wake me up in the middle of the night, there'll be more chances for peace. People don't realize that for Hamas, this is win-win. They couldn't care less about the lives of their own children. If we could show that Israel is a criminal state involved in Nazi-like tactics, it's wonderful. So you shoot rockets against Israel. You force Israel to respond. You make sure that a child is in the line of fire so the child dies, even if Israel tries to avoid it. And then it's win-win. Israel was terrorized. Israel is accused of Nazi cleansing. The fact that your own kid died, who cares? And the fact that we in the liberal Western world buy into this vicious, sadistic tool of torturing Arab children is a shanda to all of us in the media, in the universities, on Instagram, on Facebook. I turn to all of you who care for Arab lives, who care for Palestinian lives. Don't you realize the cynicism, the cynicism, the brilliant cynicism that Hamas uses you. You are like sheep, sheep going to the slaughter of Hamas. Because every one of those Palestinian children killed in Gaza is the direct fault of Hamas. Hands down. Literally hands down. And you, you are abducted and brainwashed by that cynicism instead of standing up for your own children. How embarrassing. How painful. And I'm saying this as a Jew. I'm bringing, I'm bringing on people now for questions. If you need um, my- let me know. No, no, we have an extra slot here. Guys, if anybody wants to ask the rabbi a question, please request to join. In the meantime, I'm going to plug my rally again. We're having a rally uh, with for Mayor Kin, uh, for Lana Kin, against Mayor Kin Friday and Sunday in Las Vegas. Uh, it's a kosher rally. Everything's going to be, you know, the right way. Uh, we ask that everybody attend. DM me if you need any information. Rabbi, can you, can you give... Um, the uh, the uh, the koshering for this uh, rally. Can you just mention something when you have a minute? Hi, Rabbi. Okay. Ah. Hey, Char- hey, Charlie. Do you have a question? Uh, I do. What's your I question? Have a question for the rabbi? First of all, uh, Rabbi, I uh, went to YU. I was in many of your shirim. Love it. So uh, great to see you again. It's one of those things where. Everybody knows you, but you don't know everybody because that's the kind of figure you are. So Baruch Hashem, we have you over here again and love to see you. Uh, I have a question about uh, the territory that was promised to us, the promised land. Does that include a lot? Okay, I mean, this is a law, this is an intense discussion, but certainly there are opinions that it does not. And if, but there are things that we can expand our borders. So, so there are. 
if if it's not, and it's not part of the promised land. So instead of like giving Gaza, the West Bank away, which are strategic kind of like crazy stuff, crazy talk. I mean, if we it, were to ever divide something, wouldn't it be wiser? No. no. To... Listen, my dear friend, my you dear if you're dealing if you're dealing with a population that really really craves peace with israel and they say we need one territory and then there's normal relations we love you you love even if we don't love you but we'll be at peace with you fine but every single time israel made a concession of even one centimeter of land any concession in the history of Israel, you know what they got back for that? No, no, of course. I 100% agree with that. So if you care about Arab life, it's, it's, it's the worst strategy. I once told somebody, I want you to know, let's say Israel gives back all the territories, all of Israel, Tel Aviv, Tzvaz, Jerusalem, Haifa, Galil, everything. And Israel tells the Arabs, we just want Dizengoff. We just want to <laughs> sit and sip latte and uh, espresso and some milkshakes. That's all we want. Just dizzing up. What do you think would happen the next day? Bombs. Rockets. Rockets. Right. So the simple, your simple answer is no, Rabbi. Your simple answer is no. Can I even make it simpler? Really hang on. Simple. Hang on. Rabbi, your simple answer is no to the question. What Get back a lot, yes or no? Happened when Shane Berlin gave Hitler Czechoslovakia. Thank you. There's your answer, Charlie. Thank you for your question. I have other people waiting. I love you. Thank you for joining. In simple answer, in 1940, there was no Israel, and they still wanted to destroy us. Do you think just because era is an excuse? It would, that, be you know, nice. it would be nice. I wish it was true. If yeah. that Israel was withdrawn in the 1967 borders would be peace. It's a wonderful hypothesis. The problem is any concession. Look at the Oslo Accords. Yitzhak Rabin. He meant well. Shimon Peres meant well. Menachem Begin gave Sinebeck meant well. Arik Sharon meant well. These are people who fought for Israel for 50 years. They all meant well. What happened? What happened? The worst terrorism in the history of Israel came after the Oslo Accords when he gave the Palestinian Authority autonomy. And you know what? Somebody told Rabin, I watched this. Somebody told Rabin, what happens? You're going to give weapons to the Palestinian Authority. What happens if they start using those weapons against you? <laughs> so Rabin started to laugh. He said, are you crazy? The moment they use it against us, they know we're going to go in and take it all back. And what happened? A day later, they unleashed the worst suicide bombers. You remember? Week after week after wow. week. It was, and it took them only after the Netanya suicide bombing of the state. Or you remember when Holocaust survivors were murdered in cold blood in Israel? That finally they decided to have to go back in and retake the West Bank because it was just impossible. It became an infrastructure of terror. When you're talking about, you have to think about life and death and not about politics and appeasing people who couldn't care less about your children. You think they care if another million Jews die? They couldn't care less. They couldn't. They don't care about Chicago. They don't care about Syria. You think they care about Jews in Israel? Adam Cohen, welcome to the live. How are you doing? How are you? What, rabbi, what is your question for the rabbi? What do we do with all the people, all the Palestinians that are already in Israel? 
You can't just kick them out. out. And we have to be a light unto the nation. The problem is, it's their leaders. It's their corrupt leaders. The truth is like this. We all, many of us, don't like a lot of things about the former President Trump and his tweets and some of his characteristics in this. In this area, Trump got it right. Trump got a lot of it right, even if I disagree with him about a lot of other things. You remember they told him, don't move the embassy to Jerusalem. It's going to create a third world war. He moved the embassy to Jerusalem. He acknowledged the Golan Heights as Israel. He canceled Iran deal. So that is he, he's blessed. And he stopped. This is what I want to say. He stopped. There was hundreds of millions of dollars being sent from American taxpayers' money that was going to pay terrorist families. And he stopped it. And remember, even terror needs money. Even terror needs money. If Israel would make it very, very clear, we're going to cause every last penny is going to be stopped. Palestinian <laughs> ship that's enticing terror will be dealt with in the strongest of ways. And the Arabs living in Israel will be made to understood. Be understand, we're happy. You're with us, but if you will be burning down synagogues and Israel is going to become Nazi Germany and a Kristallnacht, this will be not tolerated. People will understand this. They'll get the message. But when we're meek, when we overlook things, it emboldens terror. Does that answer your question? Yes. Thank you for Thanks. asking it. You're beautiful. Next guy. Thank you so much, Adam. You're amazing. He's a hidden Sadiq, by the way. You should just know. Oh, yes. We're bringing in Sarah, Hasidic hipster girl. I'm so happy she's coming. I was begging her to join. Sarah, how are you? Good. So nice to see you. Baruch Hashem. How's it going? I'm happy. I, I don't know. I don't know if you guys know each other, but I know you guys met one time, Rabbi Jacobson. This is Sarah, other known as Hasidic hipster girl, um, in other in other worlds. Um, I have, and 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 this is Marie Bitesh, Hasidic hipster girl. How are you? Meet meet each other. Very special. Hi, Marie. And how are hi, you? Rabbi. First of all, I want to say that Rabbi, I'm a huge wow. fan of yours during COVID. Um, I was listening to your YouTube channel on repeat, like it was just going on in the background, and I have to thank you so much. For Me that. too. Me too. So much insight and so much Hasidus. I did not grow up Chabad, but my username is Hasidic Hipster Girl. I'm a proud Moroccan Jew, but I learned so much from you. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. A lot. I shared on my platform. You should just know you're very influential to me. Thank so you. a lot of respect to you. And before I ask my question, I want to show you one thing that's going to give us a lot of strength tonight. Oh, yeah. very nice. Right here. It's a beautiful I, thing. I did want to tell you something. I want to tell you Can something. we sing a niggin after you say what you want to tell her? We need a what niggin. What's your first name? Every single square is a letter of the Tanya. Perak al Tanya. How cool is that? What's your first name? My name is Sarah. Sarah, I just want to tell you something. Yeah. I was once one of the founders of Shalom Achshav. You know what Shalom Achshav is? I don't. I don't. It's one of the most left-wing anti-Israel movements called Peace Now. They don't call themselves anti-Israel, but it's like, you know, the J Street uh, genre. 
Yeah. One of its leaders, I remember this, came to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he said, do you really think that Israel should not give away the territories and, and, and be so stubborn? very smart person. He looked at him. He didn't answer. He said, do you have, even if I tell you my opinion, do you have influence? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's very powerful. Because the Rebbe you don't just, just, some people just get into fights and debates and it's useless. It's always important. You don't want to be right. You want to be effective. Barrow, you speak about all your friends. It's important to be effective, not to be right. Like they say in Hebrew, chacham, al sodek. Yeah. So, Right. Speaking of influence, I just want to just maybe let you know who who Sarah is. Uh, again, otherwise known as Hasidic hipster girl. She has, I think, 30,000 plus or minus followers. Um, and she always puts out a good message. She always puts out a, a nice thing before Shabbat, which I personally read and love. And she speaks about influence. You do such a beautiful job. And I have so much respect for you for that. And uh, it, it just shows to be, it just shows you could be Hasidic and hip at the same time. Yeah. So, so thank you for being awesome. Yeah. yeah What's that? Yeah. That's what the Rebbe was. was so so what? Yeah. Yeah. I see. yeah. 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 Okay, so my question to well, you one is. Second, one second. Sir. I just want to tell you. Yeah. So this person says, I have some influence. He was the leader of, 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 of Peace Now movement. So the Rebbe says, well, if you have influence, let me tell you that every concession Israel makes endangers lives. So he tells the Rebbe, what if not making concessions will cause an international uproar against Israel and everybody will attack Israel? He looked at him and he said, I grew up in Tsarist Russia. Mm. Let me tell you something from my experience. It never mattered what Jews do or don't do. If they hate you, they will find an excuse forever. And he gave an example. I don't know if you know about the Bayless trial. In 1911, they accused a Jew of killing a a Christian child near Kiev, Ukraine, to use his blood for Pesach. There was a huge trial in 1913, huge. The whole Russia was gripped in this trial. Listen to this. The Rebbe said this. One of the rabbis who had to send a defense, right? He put on a stamp on the envelope and the stamp had a picture of Tsar Nicholas. When he put on the stamp, by mistake, he put the stamp upside down so that the face was upside down. So the prosecutor comes to the court. He shows the letter and he says, look, look at this man. He takes Nicholas, the czar, czar Nicholas, our king, his majesty, and embarrasses him in public. So he says, they'll find the stamp that was turned over by mistake. He says, it never matters what Jews do or don't do. We have to do the right thing and the world will respond. It's just such an important message today. You know, people are so scared of opinion. If they hate you, they don't care. They'll slaughter you. Whatever you do, you can stretch out your neck. It's stretched out its neck a hundred times every time it gets slaughtered. Do the right thing and the world will respect you. You know when the world respected Israel most? After the Six-Day War and after Antebi. When yes. they violated every international law of the Geneva Convention. You know why? Because they stood up to terror and they protected innocent life. That's what the world likes to see. And Israel doesn't get it. They're embarrassed. Anyway, you know, you know, 
Rabbi, the thing is, today not everybody knows what the right thing to do is. There's a lot mm -hmm. of confusion. I personally believe we're living pre-Mashiach times right now. There is so much confusion more than ever before. We're, there's so many distractions more than ever before. And my question actually for you on this live today has to do with the clarity. How do we know what the right thing to do is when there are two right things? For example, fighting for Israel is attending a rally the right thing to do. So, you know, most people would say, of course, show your support. But what if that causes a lot of violence to us Jewish people? What if that's a threat to our existence? Is it really the right thing to do? Should we show up? And then, and then I know probably the typical Chabad answer is Torah, mitzvahs, and that will bring the gula. I'm not making fun of it at all. I believe in it. But how do you like tie that with Israel? Because it's not a strong enough answer for people that are very much like doers and like Zionist and pro-Israel and like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So that's my question to you. Like, what are your thoughts about like attending rallies and all that? Yeah. When it Every every situation, you know, has to be considered individually. But I think yeah. a general approach is, and this has been Judaism's greatest calling. Our first and most sacred responsibility is to protect life. Life is sacred. Jewish life and every other life. Arab life, Jewish life. That is really our most sacred principle. Yeah. And therefore, anything that leads to the protection of life is the call of the hour. And anything that jeopardizes life, that gives a pri prize to terrorists, that emboldens them, that shows them that they can get away with it, that appeases them, is the worst thing we can do. Or to quote Winston Churchill, appeasement is feeding the crocodile in the hope that he will eat you last. <laughs> And that has been Israel's failed strategy with many of its enemies. Feed the crocodile. Keep him quiet. They call it ceasefire. Mm. Be eaten tomorrow instead of today. Well, and what, 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 a, what a failed and, and misplaced strategy. And it's sad to say a lot of our leaders are not in, don't have within them that inner confidence that comes from Torah and Yiddishkeit. Yeah. When so about, about rallies, I'm curious about this like black and white answer too, because I have a lot of people reaching out to me in Montreal, Beryl, you should plan a rally, Beryl, you should plan a rally, right. which like I have no problem doing, but is that going to help? And it may and it may not. I would love to hear your, your opinion as well, because... A rally for what? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just confused. An Israel rally, a pro-Israel rally. I don't want to show only one side there. Like, we need Listen. to show such a minority in every little area that we're in, so we should at least have one Israeli flag there. But then again, should we show up if it's going to cause a threat to our existence? Right. Are you talking about showing up to Palestinian rallies or us making our own rallies? That's a good question. I was thinking in general, the, the concept of a rally. Look, I, I'll tell, I'll, I don't have to be a rabbi to tell you, don't show up to their rallies. Um, that's definitely dangerous. <laughs> it's definitely dangerous. But planning our own rallies. Listen, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. gave that famous speech, Let Freedom Ring. You're, you know that one, right? Incredible, right? And it mobilized the world.
I would love to see. I would love to see a million Jews at a rally in Washington, or a half a million Jews at a rally in Washington. Speaking the truth, the problem is, and it's sad for me. We are still a fragmented community. We're a divided community, even though it's much better today than I think than it was. But this is really something that's, I think, important. If we can bring a million Jews together, just to be together is special. Just to be with another million Jews is special. But people can't even decide, you know, what herring to serve at the Kiddush. Is it going to be, you know, <laughs> or is it going to be, you know, uh, mm-hmm. another type of herring? But I think that would be amazing to bring Jews together. Um, to speak, you know, to say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekeinu, Hashem Echad, to right. verses of Torah, to strengthen our connection to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the Chabadniks would put on tefillin on everybody over there, so we're not worried about that. You know, they'll have that covered. Speaking but, about Chabadniks, what was the Rebbe's position? Speak out is the Rebbe. Speak out again. The Rebbe. I think that would the, be an incredible moment of unity. It's called Hakel, bringing the Jews together. What was the Rebbe's general opinion? Because he lived through many difficult moments in Israel. What was the general shita, the general, um, how do you say shita? So the the Rebbe, marching, the what was the marching orders that the Rebbe gave during these difficult moments? What I saw when I was growing up watching it, he, he usually worked on three fronts. One was more clandestine and the other two were more public. First, what, is clandestine, what does clandestine mean? Private, secret, confidential. Uh, private, uh, hidden. The first front was he dealt a lot with the Israeli leadership. And I say that was more clandestinely. Um, communication about strategic efforts about how to confront uh, very, very difficult moments. Sadly, they didn't always listen to him. They did often did not listen to him because they felt it was radical and they were so frightened. He would always speak about the fear that they have of a world that doesn't even threaten them because he would explain how America really wants them to do the right thing, but they can't say it because they're hmm. afraid of the Arabs and, you know, the oil and everything. So he could do it. So that mm-hmm. one, one level he worked on. Another level he worked on was he would always try to communicate with people in leadership positions who have influence, political influence, uh, mm-hmm. media influence, financial influence, both in America and Israel, to be able to, to to turn them into ambassadors of truth, to be able to turn them into proud Jews who care about truth, who care about life, and who will not allow the propaganda and the lies hijack their own mind and the minds of the communities and the minds of Americans and people all over the world. Like I told you before, that the Rebbe, I remember how the Rebbe would scream. He would say, if you care about Arab children, you shouldn't give in and surrender to this propaganda. It's like now, if you care about Arab children, the cynicism mm-hmm. of Hamas blaming Israel for the death of their own children who they don't care about. It's so, it's so troubling. That's what I tell my Arab friends. I say, don't you realize, don't you realize that your children will, will be treated with much more dignity if they come into an Israeli hospital than mm-hmm. if they come to your hospitals? Imagine a Jew ends up in a, in a Gaza hospital and imagine an Arab child ends up in, a, in Hadassah. It's a whole different world. We're trained 
to to see life as sacred. So that was another, another right. major element. And I would say the third the third component of the Rebbe's marching orders was really turning to all the Jewish people around the world, and said at such moments you have to be more Jewish. At such moments, you need to influence every Jewish man to wrap tefillin, every Jewish woman to light Shabbat candles, Jews to study more Torah, to engage in more love, to engage in more mitzvahs, to engage in more prayer, to increase in our Yiddishkeit, in our connection to each other and to God and to the Jewish people. Because as I said before, he would say, we're all limbs of one body. Right. And when you go to the gym, and you work on cardio, all the parts of the body are affected. Right. On your legs, all the parts. So when we strengthen ourselves, when a Jew here in America or anywhere in the world adds in Torah and mitzvahs, it helps directly the Jews in Israel. And he would also talk about the importance of education, of really educating a generation of Jews who stand tall, who stand pride, not with arrogance, with humility, but with inner dignity, so that we could really be able to represent that voice that the world desperately needs, the voice of Sinai, the voice of clarity, the voice of moral fiction and unwavering, unwavering clarity of what is life and what is death. Hmm. So in so much for that. So in short, like Torah and mitzvot overpower any being present at any rally. Listen, to show up at their rallies, I don't know. I, I'm not an expert in this area. So, right. Dangerous. Uh, you know, you have to figure out if that's really the right thing. Yeah. Um, but, but the fact is like this. We have been around for thousands of years. We've been through thick and thin, you know. This Sunday night, we're going to celebrate 3,333 years of wow. now. Three, it's a three. Three, 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 three. Okay. Wow. A long time. And it's not been, we're not like the Chinese. We have been quarantined in one section of the world. We've been dispersed and scattered. <laughs> hunted down, persecuted. We have lived in the most tranquil of times. Hemingway says it was the best of times and the worst of times. We've lived through the best of times and through the worst of times. And it's always the best of times and the worst of times. And you have to ask that question. You know, what really was our ultimate ammunition? Thank God we have a blessed army that can protect innocent life. And we all pray for the soldiers and bless them and, and love them and cherish them. Can we actually, can we actually, there's 400 people watching. Can we all say, can we all make a little prayer now? Sure. Just in, yeah. So God, God, the pray. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel, yeah. the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, please bless the Jewish people. Please bless the army. Please bless all of Israel. That it should be safe. And please everybody say amen. Amen. Amen, amen. It's like David told Goliath. Goliath was cursing the Jews and God. And David told Goliath, you know, you're coming to me with your spear and your sword, but I'm coming to you as an ambassador of the God of eternity. And Jews always knew that we are connected to some, to the creator of the world who created the Arabs and the Jews. Yeah. Therefore, as long as we are connected to that, we have to fight and we have to defend ourselves. But that is ultimately our connection to eternity. 
And it may not be visible. Like, what's the connection between tefillin, wrapping tefillin on a Jew, and security in Israel? But the fact is, the Torah tortures of the thousands of years, all the empires are gone. What did we have that they didn't have? The Egyptians and the Greeks and the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Persians and the Romans and the Byzantine. They all had amazing empires. Great. Yeah much more powerful than the Jewish people. And huge territories and cultures and powerful, powerful war machines. Where are they all? The answer is they're all in Wikipedia. That's where they are. And, right. where, and where are the Jewish people? The Jewish people, we created Wikipedia and Google and Facebook. <laughs> and, or at least we, we created most of them. We're still surviving and thriving as creative as ever three, 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 three years later. And the answer to that is the power of our Torah, the power of Yiddishkeit, of Torah and mitzvahs that we have bequeathed to our children and grandchildren, the power of faith that has sustained us. And therefore, this is a time to be much more Jewish and to strengthen our Yiddishkeit in every possible way, everyone in their own personal lives, and in our communal lives. Wow. And Rabbi, it's, it's we see for every death. The news from Israel is very, very difficult to read. Yeah. Today, you know what happened to Jude in Ramat Gan? 560 wounded. And, uh, and we grieve, by the way, we grieve for every Arab, every innocent person who dies, Jew or non-Jew, we grieve. When a terrorist dies, then somebody who was trying to destroy life, we grieve for the fact that we have to fight. But ultimately, a terrorist dies, it saves lives. But we grieve for every innocent life, Jew, non-Jew alike. So the news yeah. coming from Israel is, is very, very difficult. And there's a lot of pain, a lot of sadness. You know, it's 2021. We've been through so much. Yeah. It seems like after Corona, the world would have become more united. Mm -hmm. It was for a year. I told my family the beginning last year, April, I said, the first time maybe in history that at around the dinner table, all humanity is talking about the same thing. People in Tehran, mm -hmm. Baghdad, Williamsburg, Lakewood, Muncie, Pakistan, yeah. New Zealand, Finland, <laughs> and Hong Kong, and Beijing, and even Wuhan are all talking about the same thing, the stupid coronavirus. The whole world. My husband. Oh, hi, hi, hi. Hi. We were hoping, we were hoping for a consciousness of unity. And I think that's really our message. Our message has to be, we need a consciousness of unity. The world is one. We're organically connected. And we're not, and genocide is the declaration of war, not just against Jews, declaration of war against humanity. That clarity mm -hmm. is paramount. Yeah. Rabbi, Rabbi, it's, it's, it's yeah. getting, Murray had a question. Yeah, uh, the information campaign is our biggest enemy right now, besides for everything else, is our biggest en enemy that's out there today. Um, can you maybe ask the 400, 500 people that are watching and the thousands that will be watching later on, you know, if each one of us posted something pro-Israel, pro-Jewish, pro-Hashem, that, you know, the 500, if each one of them had 1,000 followers, that's 500,000 people that'll be seeing it. And if they share it, it'll be millions of people. And each one of us can make a difference just by posting something simple, pro-Israel, you know, love, kindness about the army, about everything. So if each one of us would just take it upon ourselves 
to post something pro-Israel to get the uh, media out there, to get the information campaign out there. Do you think that that would help make a difference? Could I just, could I, could I just mention, Marie, what I posted in the past 24 hours that got – it was my biggest post on Instagram ever in history. That I was coming on your live. Yes, exactly. I, I posted a pic- I posted a picture of me wearing my tefillin and showing my showing my sidur, yeah. and it got almost over five hundred likes. Yeah. It went completely viral, and I said, "This is how a Jew fights." Yeah, and not to mention, I got three hundred comments. Two hundred ninety were from Palestinians. Beautiful. You know, they're the best. They're the best commenta- commenters. The best fans. Please continue. But for me, I could share from personal experience. You're asking, and I want to hear the rabbis actually also because I want to do whatever he says. But that was the biggest post I ever had. I want to on tell a picture. You, I want to tell you a very sad story, guys. <laughs> a few years ago, it happened in an Israeli prison. Okay, there was an Arab terrorist in prison. And his guard was an Israeli security guard in prison, a policeman, a soldier, whoever it was, with a friend. And they were eating a tuna sandwich or falafel, pita, falafel. And this Arab terrorist looks at them and says, it's Pesach today, Passover. You're not supposed to eat, uh, you're not supposed to eat bread. So they were secular Israelis, fine people, but we're not really educated. They said, that's, uh, you know, it's an old law. We don't, uh, we don't keep it anymore. We eat bread on Passover. And he looked at them and he said, if that's the case, we're going to win. Well, basically, you see, our greatest enemy is our own inferiority. The Israeli government's inferiority complex our need for appeasement we don't even it's not even conscious it's unconscious yes we are the most ethical army in the world yes we want to protect the innocent life of every person jew and arab yes but the inferiority complex kills us it destroys us. so it's so important for jews everywhere to stand tall to explain what it means to be a jew what torah is about what israel is about how we view life, how we view genocide. I say post, post yourself in tefillin, post messages of truth, messages of kindness, messages of the seven Noahide laws, messages of a consciousness of unity. Of course, every person has influence. And if you doubt it, let me remind you something that happened a little more than a year ago. There was a man in Wuhan, China, who after a dinner with his... They happened to eat bats, I think, that night. He sneezed. He sneezed. That's all he did. And as a result of that sneeze, a few months later, 7.7 billion people were on lockdown for a year because he sneezed. So if you tell me you don't have influence, one sneeze in Wuhan changed the whole world. 100%. 100%. That's true about a virus the size of 125 nanoparticles. And if you would have asked that man in Wuhan, do you have global influence? He would say, me? I'm just <laughs> a regular man living in China. I got no influence on nobody. Even my wife doesn't listen to me. And yet, yeah. his single sneeze transformed civilization. <laughs> it stopped the world. 
The whole world. It literally one, stopped yeah, the world. Literally. Started with a sneeze or a doorknob or a doorknob that he touched. <laughs> and the viral particles stuck to the doorknob and the rest is history. So friends, realize if this is true about one sneeze when it comes to Corona, every single person has an incredible impact to fill our world with goodness, with truth, with holiness, with morality, with clarity. Don't duck and don't shirk your responsibilities. People tell me sometimes, I'm afraid of my skeletons. I'm afraid of my darkness. And I would tell you, most people are not afraid of our darkness. There's a bigger fear that we have to be afraid of. And that's, we are afraid of our own light. People are afraid of their power. We tell ourselves, eh, I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing, I don't have influence. What I have nine and a half followers and half of them are deaf and blind. Who am I? What? Okay, I have a hundred. Come on. Yeah. A mistake. It's like nuclear energy in the positive. Yeah. Create an, a reaction. You never know who you're touching, how you're touching them. So I say, don't stop. Believe every one of us is an ambassador of love and light and hope and truth. Use your influence and you'll never know how powerful and profound your impact could be. Because, you know, the second, the first world war, the first world war, which produced the second world war, the two greatest wars in the history of humanity began from a 19-year-old kid in Sarajevo, a guy named Gavriel Princip, who yeah. pulled the trigger, who pulled the trigger, pulled the trigger in 1914 in June. And that caused the First World War, which caused the Second World War. A 19-year-old kid pulled one trigger. He was in the middle of eating a sandwich, a sandwich in Sarajevo. So I tell you, one person, wow. one person in inexplicable ways can have an incredible impact in terms of light and goodness. And that includes every single one of us. Don't stop. So how much more so the 500 people watching? Every single one of us. And thank every, you, Rabbi. Everyone. I mean, that COVID, Don't give up. Don't, that people COVID are afraid. People are afraid because the anti-Israel sentiment <laughs> so powerful and they flood Instagram and they flood social media. And I say to you one thing, you know how many Jews there are in this world? 14 million. You know how many people there are? 7.7 billion. How much percent are we of the population? And the answer is we're not 1%. We're not even a half a percent. We're not even a quarter percent. We should have disappeared three and a half thousand years ago. We should have disappeared. We're still here. You know why? The answer is because truth ultimately prevails. Wow. Remember wow. that. Don't be intimidated by so many comments. Truth prevails. But truth needs people who hold on to it. Yeah. But if you're not intimidated by the comments, but you're just afraid to live your life Jewishly because you're literally a threat to someone, like you're literally like your life's in danger. Like what if you're just so scared? Like, let's say, like, what if you're afraid to be visibly Jewish because you know that when you walk outside, oh, you might get killed. Like, I'm from France, and that's, like, the anti-Semitism there is, like, really, really crazy strong. I actually moved from France to Toronto. To Toronto. Um, I now live in New York, but we moved there because of the anti-Semitism. And, like, you grew up in France? You grew up in France? I grew up in France, yeah. Which city, wow. Paris? Yeah, Paris. Wow. Wow. My family... 
from France to Toronto because How did you have such a good English. Thank you. It's just it's one of those blessings from God. Um, I <laughs> I speak I both. I like, suspected that you're French. Yeah, I know. A lot Do you know that during the Hakafas of Simchas Torah, nineteen seventy three. This is literally a few days after the Yom Kippur War begins. The Lubavitcher Rebbe begins singing in his shul a song that as a French woman you will know, but he changes the lyrics. For more people, the Lubavitcher Rebbe is singing the French anthem himself, solo, in front of 10,000 people, publicly in 770, the night of Simchas Torah. And then he explained that we have to make our own French revolution, a revolution of of Yiddishkeit. So therefore, that's the power. You got to take the forces out there and utilize them as catalysts and springboards. You're asking a good question. What happens if your life is in danger? Like worth it for the attacks that you're going to get, you know? What was your question? You cut out. What was the question? Do you think that wearing your kippah outside in the street is worth it for the amount of attacks that you're going to get? Right. So, so... <laughs> for the record, I never got attacked one time for wearing my kippah, and I look pretty Jewish. Sure. Very different. I live in Monday. I don't get attacked my kippah either. I live in Cote St. Luke. I'll get attacked. both of you. Right. Yeah, it's fair. I live in Cote St. Luke. It's a very rough hood around here. I know Cote St. <laughs> yes, Rabbi. Listen, what is, it's a good question. Semites, and you have to be careful. In certain situations, you have to be careful. I just want to say, generally, when you're talking about decent people, they respect Jews who respect Judaism much more. But obviously, there are murderers, and there are Hamasniks, and there are people who hate Jews, and you have to be careful. You know, you have to look at the circumstances and make a. a a, a Jewish decision based on what, you know, common sense and based on how much we value life and, you know, realize what is the proper thing in this situation. So, you know, I think that's very important. And the Torah clearly, you know, tells us you have to protect yourself and you can't put yourself into a dangerous situation. Right. And, What's considered dangerous? Should you say, I have so much amuna, let me still go out there and be visibly Jewish? Or should you say, hey, this is a threat to my existence and I should not do this? How do you Where know? Do you Where do you live? Well, right now I live in New Jersey, but I'm asking on behalf of a lot of family members that I have in France and I'm also, saying. yeah, in France, from Paris, yeah. And yeah. I don't think. I have, I have, I have relatives. Yeah, and I have relatives in France, and friends in France, and yeah. uh, you know that's why there's you know, France and Germany, Europe in general has been. Okay. That's why there's a lot of you know they need a lot of security. It's a serious situation. I mean, and let's not forget what happened right here in New Jersey. Yeah, I forget. 
And what happened right here in Muncie last year? Hanukkah, you remember? I mean, Corona, but he forgot what happened. My husband was actually a first responder. Axed to death. He died a few months later, right? Yeah. Story here, Saturday night, Hanukkah in Muncie. Mm-hmm. Of course I remember. And the, the, the attack. So this is this is all horrific. And I think in every situation, you know, emuna, emuna means I believe in God, but the question is, what is it that God wants for me at this moment? Right. Generally, right. a person has to... <laughs> We follow, we follow, we follow the Torah's guidance, which tells us that certain dangerous situations you have to avoid, and generally we try to avoid all possible danger. But the most important thing is not to live in a place of dread and fear and just surrender. You know, we have to be able to understand what is our calling and what is our mission and what is needed from us at this moment. And to that ultimately, ultimately, uh, God runs the world, really runs the world. And we have to stand up to our calling, live up to our calling, live up to our potential. Mm-hmm. And that creates powerful change, even beyond our imagination sometimes. Rabbi, do you, do you sense a calling for Exodus to Israel yet? Like for us to be really strongly thinking about the move to israel this is let a, him yeah, let, it, let him know let him know rabbi this is a just question. pull up rip off the band-aid yeah yeah no this is a question we get a lot uh, and you know I, uh, to be very honest with you I, i'm not a person who's in a position you know i'm not a lubavitcher rebbe who's in a position to be able to tell the jewish people this is the time to uh you know pack up your suitcases and leave um you know i think people who are in influential positions of leadership in the united states in north america and south america and europe and in asia and africa to tell every teacher and every rabbi and every educator and every philanthropist just to you know if if american rabbis leave israel and all american jews are coming with okay that's a good question but what usually happens call on people to go to Israel, the leaders leave, and the, the, the communities are left like uh, like like sheep without a shepherd. So I think we have to be sensitive and, you know, realize maybe you're right, maybe you're right, I'm not a prophet, but I think we just have to, what happens often is, in the 1960s, the Jewish agency would travel to communities around the world and convince Jews to make Aliyah. I once read a letter from the Lubavitcher Rebbe to one of the leaders, and he says, you know, it's a beautiful idea. The problem is the only ones who listen to you are the people who are needed most in these communities, <laughs> people who are passionate. So they leave, right, and the community left without any leadership. So he says, what are you doing? Convince those who don't want to go to Israel to go to Israel. Don't convince the rabbis who love Israel, and then you take them away. He was very upset about India. A lot of communities lost their spiritual leadership. So I think it's just important to understand that you know, every person has to ask themselves for real, where does God want me to be? Where does Hashem want me to be? If my mission is to be in Israel, then I got to be in Israel. Um, but maybe some people have a mission in other places. And I think the real question has to be, where will you be able to help the Jewish people most? That's the question. Some people, the answer is from Israel. Some people, the answer is outside of Israel. Right. Wow. Rabbi, thank you for thank you for for really enlightening all of us. It's getting late, and I want to make sure that everybody is in shul tomorrow morning for shachris. Of course, like everybody should. Um, so if I 
or Please if I could add, if I could just conclude with this Monday morning. I'll, yeah. Monday morning is the 3,333rd anniversary, anniversary of Sinai. The, our sages teach that when the Jews read the Torah, the Ten Commandments, on Monday morning, it's like a reenactment of Sinai. I would encourage every man, every woman, and even children, even if you consider yourself secular, reform, conservative, right-wing, left-wing, religious, not religious, anti-religious, but you're part of our people, and you're part of our chain of history. So make sure that Monday morning you find the synagogue near you, where they read the Torah and go in and listen to the Ten Commandments and you'll be a part of this uninterrupted golden chain which will certainly invigorate and give a lot of assistance, spiritual assistance to our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land. Rabbi, three, 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 four times three is 12. It's like the 12 uh, tribes of Eretz Israel. So um, just right before we hang up. Three is the number of unity because there's one. One is, you know, you're on your own. It's like a bachelor. And then there's two, you know, you're busy fighting, duality. And three is the synthesis. It's bringing in that that powerful force that can bring two together, synthesize, create fusion, integration. So that's what we need. This is a world that so needs three in our own marriages, in our own lives, to be able not to get rid of individuality. There's me and there's you. But there's a third, higher, transcendent force that brings us together. And that's what the world needs today more than ever. And the Jewish people need it more than ever. So I was going to ask you your marching orders to everybody watching here. And it sounds like you answered it, which is, you know, let's before we save the Middle East uh, and Israel, let's go to. And that's how we'll do it is go to shore. So what is the best time you suggest people go to hear Monday, the Ten Commandments? Monday morning, find, find a shul near you that's close to you where they read the Torah. Monday morning, that's the first day of this holiday of Shavuot when we celebrate the day we stood at Sinai 3333 three, three years ago. Literally, it's, we have the records of how many years have passed according to our tradition and our ex-cause Jews always wrote down everything. And find the shul Find out when they're going to read the Torah. It could be 9 o'clock, it could be 10 o'clock, it could be 11 o'clock, whatever it is. And show up and bring bring your whole family. This is for women, for men, children, even infants, because the Midrash says that God said if one Jew was absent, he would not give the Torah to the Jewish people. Wow. No, I'm not so religious, I'm not into it. I'm not Orthodox, I'm not ultra-Orthodox, I'm not really, you know, I'm just a bagel and lox Jew. Or as <laughs> bagel and lox. Bagel and lox, or spiritual, religious, or physical but not religious, or I'm a Buddhist, or I'm a yoga Jew, a Pilates Jew, a therapy Jew, whatever it is, uh, you're part of our people. And as part of our people, we want you there, the Jewish people want you there, your ancestors want you there, God wants you there. So find a shul near you, and this Monday morning, the first day of shul, as they read the Ten Commandments, every shul, show up. Show up simply because you're a part of this incredible chain, and we all need each other today. We need each other's strength. We need each other's support. And I think it's so important also to all, for all the children to be there. And the only reason why we care about Israel in the first place is because the Torah says so. And the Ten Commandments from the Torah are going to be read on Monday. A source of strength. 
And I say, if every Israeli leader would do, would do the same, you know, when 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 you know who you are, it's much easier to fight your battles. I think it was Nietzsche who said, when you have a why, you could deal with almost any what. I don't remember the exact expression. And here we have two whys. We have YY himself. <laughs> ah, <laughs> the point is, when you know who you are, and you know your identity. So then you have the courage to be able to do the right thing. And, and for the Jewish people, for 4,000 years, our identity has been Jewishness, and that's really our right to Israel. Rabbi, could it be that it's 3333? Could it be 3333 is the time we have our third temple? We like that. Not bad. Okay. Kosher for it? Rabbi, before, before we end, uh, one more. Build the third temple in Jerusalem, and it's going to be peaceful. In other words, even the the Arab world will say, "Yeah," and then we'll know Mashiach is here when it's going to be peaceful. <laughs> Murray, what are your clo- what's your what's your closing thought? Very bad to me, Dash. Now, they just want to give last plug again. We need everybody's participation this Friday, this Sunday in Las Vegas. Um, everybody promote it. We're having a, a protest against Mayor Kim in uh, in Las Vegas. This Friday, this Sunday, contact me if you want any more information. If you see the post about it, please, I beg of you all to share the post. It's less than a week away. We really have to publicize this rally. Uh, 17 years or uh, is, is a long time. Uh, it's time to free Lana Kim. Good. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much, you know everybody. Lana, Lana is my next door neighbor. I don't know if you know. Wow. wow. I live in and Lana lives right across the street of me. I'm pointing to her house right now. Wow. So, so I, I have the privilege of knowing Lana and knowing her wonderful children, every one of them. Can you wow. tell the Especially, how important it is to attend this rally against America? Uh, in fact, Lana, before she moves, always bakes an extra cheesecake that she delivers. Oh, that's she so nice. knows about my sweet tooth and that I love cheesecake, unfortunately. So... <laughs> That's the real reason. Unfortunately, she unfortunately that I like cheesecake. <laughs> so, Rabbi, uh, can you have a, uh, can you give us can you just tell the, everybody how important it is to attend this if any rally ever? You're dealing with a very special family, very special people, very special woman, extremely kind, very kind-hearted, very kind-hearted person, and she has been in in, in shackles. I spoke before about shackles and shackles for 17 years. And this is a travesty. This is, you know, this is a travesty of, of devastating proportions. And the Jewish community cannot tolerate this type of behavior any longer. Nobody who is engaged in such sadistic behavior should be tolerated in this case and any other case. And it's up to us. It's up to us. Again, people say, I don't have influence. I'm just a regular guy. No, no, no. When you are walking in the street and you smile to that abuser, you become an accomplice. I become an accomplice. And you know what? I want to smile to everybody. I like to be nice to I like to be a nice guy. You know, I said before about the guy I threw out of show. I told him not to come back. I can't tell you how hard it was for me. It's the first time I ever did it in my life. I'm not that person. You know, I'm the guy who loves inclusion. I want everybody there. I want everybody but my classes. First of all, I like it. You know, I also have my ego, uh, despite everything else. 
but the also it's just it's not comfortable it's not comfortable so i i understand our inclination to say i don't have to get involved this guy is fighting with his wife it's it's their problem but i'll be nice to him but when we're nice to abusers we become enablers encourage mm. them because if I'm accepted at my community and I have a nice seat in shul, says, oh, how are you? How have you been? What's going on? And let me give you an aliyah. It's your birthday. Yard site and this. We become accomplices of evil. And that's why I say every Jew, leader, laymen, laywomen, rabbis, non-rabbis, activists, poor, rich, if we would be united and say, no more to torturing women, no more to torturing children, no more to torturing any innocent person, woman or man or child, no more. We will spit them out from our midst. No more rockets on Israel. Same conversation. It's the same conversation. It's boundaries. And, you know, By the way, Rabbi, I have a, I have a ticket with your name on it. Spits out these things, and there's a change of consciousness, and these people will get the message very fast. You rabbi, know? I don't know your availability, and I know it's last minute. Daryl, Rabbi, Annie of Sticker, all three of you, I have tickets with your name on it. If you're interested in coming, let me know. Totally funded, free trip on us. We'll take the three of you. We would love the three of you to be there if possible. We'll talk about it after the live. I'm just putting it out there. If it's a possibility, we would love to have all three of you at this rally uh, in Vegas this I wanna, weekend. I want to thank everybody. Wow. I want to thank everybody. You know, on behalf of the rabbinate, on behalf of all the Jewish people, I want to thank all the people who are standing up to this injustice and similar injustices. And you should understand that from a Torah perspective, the greatest value in the world is to protect the innocent and not to allow people to get away with such murder. So therefore, kudos to you. God bless you. I salute each and every one of you for your courage, for your resilience, for your fortitude, most importantly, for your caring and for your love. Let's not turn this into an agenda-driven cause that becomes parochial and narrow and dismissive and judgmental. This is about a very fundamental issue at the heart of the Jewish community. And that is, will we be the community that becomes the ambassadors of what it means to be here for each other and be here for people who have been tormented and abused? Will we stand up to people who are misguided and are utilizing the system of Jewish law to stab, to stab themselves because you hurt yourself. When you hurt others, you kill yourself, you murder yourself. There's no such a thing you're hurting your wife. You think you're hurting your wife? You're destroying your own soul. You're destroying your own conscience. And remember, you can't fool God. You can't deceive God. Maybe you can deceive a rabbi or two. You can't deceive God. He knows the truth. And we have to make a decision. Will we enable that? Or will we become the leaders who tell the world and tell every one of us in our midst that the main objective of Torah is to protect the vulnerable? Does anybody not see the similarities here? Am I the only one that sees this? Between what... 
totally seeing the similarities. Yes. Between what's going on, you could be talking to a Palestinian and a get refuser. It's the same conversation. I've been saying it for weeks. I've been saying it's the it same for- conversation. They are the same person. The get refuser and the Palestinian are the same individual. They don't care. The same how they fight and they'll destroy their children and they'll destroy their families and they'll wow. put kids down. And they but, don't. They- but let's remember. I'm going to say this again. Every one of them gets away with what they get away with because of our help, because of our silence. Including the Palestinians. They in, get away with it. In the community. We enable it. Aber, who says, oh, good Shabbos. It's nice to see you. The Gabba who says, come, you're going to open the ark today. You're welcome. The rabbi who lets him be there. All of us, all of us become accomplices. Remember, everyone needs help from somebody. <laughs> So that help got to be cut off. I need all three of your help. Come to this rally. All expense paid for. I know I'm pressuring. I'm not expecting an answer now. But if you guys can come, it'll be a first-class trip, and we will rally, rally, rally. We'll have Torah learning. We'll do it right. Guys, if you're able to come, please do it. I just want to add one more point. The similarity between the get refusers and the Palestinians is that there's an overall concealment of God. There is a total darkness. There's a blockage. And by us spitting more Torah and mitzvot and really releasing the most we can to the world, we're revealing more godliness. And by revealing more godliness, we'll reveal the truth. And in essence, the dark will be wiped. Just naturally. By spitting more truth, we're totally wiping out the darkness. Beautiful. That's a great way to do it. Guys, thank you everybody for joining. God bless you all. Rabbi, thank you so much for being here. Marie, Sarah, thank you. And uh, Murray, we'll talk after. We'll talk after the live. All right, hipster girl, contact me, DM me. I want to get you a ticket. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody watching. Everybody watching, thank you so much. You're amazing. Thank you for being us. You could have been watching uh, Netflix. Who knows what you could have been doing tonight, but you're here with us. Netflix, hey, much better than Netflix. Come on, exactly. You could have been what you could have been watching the yeshiva. What is it, Rabbi? Let me give you a plug. The yeshiva.net. The yeshiva.net. It saved, also saved my life during during Corona. Thank everybody for being here. I appreciate you all tremendously. God bless. Thank Monday you. morning. Monday morning. Ten commandments. It's going down. It's going up. And then and then uh, in Vegas this week you have the American rally. Thank you everybody. God bless. Yes. Thank you. Bye. Shabbat tov. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.